0: Welcome to The Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Charian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. I do have to say that I will continue on what we did about David, particularly to do with uh, his wilderness and lessons from David's life to do with people that uh, have been in David's life, the great champions as well as people that were hurt and that have hurt him as well. But today, I just want to embark on something with regard to wilderness and my message, I believe it is speaking to someone. It is to do with the desert and the wilderness is so glad for you. Because there is something very powerful in this very difficult time of wilderness. And it's glad because we come across some awesome experience in our wilderness journey as we walk through the wilderness. And I know many people, in spite of the fact that uh, we almost think that the COVID is at the last leg, we still need to be careful. There's a resurgence over and over again, nothing like drastic it was in 2019 or 2020, but we need to be very careful and do all that we can to protect ourselves. But once again, welcome those that are watching. We're so glad that you could uh, tune our way. Please share this message if you're on Facebook or pass on this message to others by way of YouTube. I want to talk about from from Isaiah chapter 35, verse 1 and 2. And specifically, I want you to look at these awesome words The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. Did you get that? The wilderness and those lonely places are going to be glad for precious people of God that are in this, why? And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. How could there be wilderness and rose? We're talking about something that is the dichotomy. But when you turn to verse two, it goes on to say, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of God. They're going to see the glory of these things that one experiences in the wilderness. Now, when you slip down to verse 11 of this chapter, what it says, Therefore the ransom of the Lord shall return, and come with singing. And what is so remarkable is that song and worship, that they shall return from the wilderness. And they're going to experience such a great joy that they're going to come back and uh, return with singing, and the joy shall be in their art. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 2. There are three places that I've mentioned that have such significance for us in the desert and in the wilderness, you find, number one, it says, the glory of Lebanon. Number two, it says, the excellency of Carmel. Number three, it says, uh, the Sharon. So you have the glory of Sharon, the excellency of Carmel, and also the glory of Sharon. And it says, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. The first thing we come to realize is this Lebanon has so much of words and significance, and it's spoken over and over again. We don't have time to run through it. But when you go to a particular passage, uh, you come to realize how significant it is. Uh, Talking about the voice of God, talking about Lebanon and the Siddhas of Lebanon, because the Siddhas are very well known. Of course, you know, particularly in this season, we get the fragrance of this Siddhar. But if you're Turn to Psalm chapter 29 and verse 5. It is very significant because what the psalmist is saying, the siddhas of Lebanon, uh, the voice of the Lord breaketh the siddhas, ye breaketh the siddhas of Lebanon. It simply means to get a fragrance, you have to break the siddhar. Now, know, many a times in the Christmas season, we put it in the fire, we basically break it just to get that fragrance, that Christmas uh, fragrance. But in the wilderness, it might look as if it is dull. It might look as if it is just going to be a very bad experience. And yet there is, number one, smell of a fragrance. Even in the desert, God begins to renew a sense of spiritual sense of his presence. And that is the glory of Lebanon. But there's a righteousness attributed to be in a figurative way like uh, the like the siddhas of Lebanon. I think it is in Psalm 92 and verse 12. When you look into this passage, it says, the righteous shall grow like the, flourish like the palm tree, He shall grow like the siddhar in Lebanon. So we understand during this experience in the wilderness, the palm and the siddhas specifically grow in the most unimaginable places. And there is a sense of glory. You know, when you see a lot of palm tree and when you see these siddhas, you realize there is always, there's water. And for those who are traveling in the desert, in the wilderness, this is so significant, this is so meaningful. Number two, as you go down to a chapter, um, verse 2 of, of Isaiah 35, there is the second one, and that is called Carmel, the excellency of Carmel. So, first, we learned about the glory of Lebanon. The second is the excellency of Carmel. What exactly can you learn of Carmel? I want us to realize that it is on that Carmel there was a very big challenge made. It is one man against 500, literally, there were more than that. But this one man, Elisha, stands up and be able to sacrifice to God, and what is so important in that is he comes to this place in Carmel, and towards the end, after the sacrifice, he's able to tell that king, who's the worshipper of Baal, and those prophets have been uh, plummeted. I mean, their significance has been lost because they were all powerful until Elijah comes, and what happens is the people cry out, the Lord, Yahweh, he is God. The Yahweh is God. The Lord God is God. The Almighty God is God. Not some Baal worship. And so when you turn to First Kings chapter 18 and verse 42, he's able to tell King Ahab to go as fast as he can because there is going to be showers of blessing. But what does Elijah do? He puts his face between his knees because of something that he's going to expect. It is significant. In this desert comes the challenge, the morbid situation where he's overwhelmed with large numbers of people and people of influence, and yet this man, one man with God, is able to challenge their idolatry and all of the things that were taking place, and he is now significantly, like in a spiritual birthing place, waiting and expecting something significant in this desert wilderness of Uh, When you turn to verse 2 again, the third one is Sharon. Sharon. And this is very significant because uh, that's Isaiah 35 and verse 2. The third one is Sharon. And this specifically speaks about not only the beauty, but the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. And we find here, Sharon, they shall see. And what you find in the experience of all things, yes, there are powers of demons and all of that, but you get to see Jesus Christ. You remember the old song? Not on a mountain, nor on a great mountain or hill, but on my, me, me, uh, on my knees in the valley I found my Lord. It's always, and matter of fact, in a time when we are in the wilderness that we get to see the Lord more that we get to depend upon the Lord more, that we get to experience the presence of the Lord more than any other time, not so much when we are up on the mountain. It's so dangerous to be up there if we are not conscious of God, but we become so conscious of ourselves, the goods of the world, and the things of the world. But in the valley, when everything is done and finished, in the wilderness, when there is nothing else, in the solitary we get to see the beauty of the Lord. So, that's what it says, this uh, chapter 35 and verse 1. The wilderness is glad, solitary place is glad for the people that come in. And they shall rejoice and blossom in the desert, in like a rose. And so they shall return with singing and joy in their lips. That's how this uh, Isaiah chapter 35 closes with. So these three... Places are very significant. But there's something I wanted to understand. One of the things we find in the psalm, in this book of Isaiah, is something that we get to experience. So as we go to Isaiah chapter 35, let's read verse 3 and verse 4. So understanding that they are glad, the wilderness is glad for everyone that comes. You see the glory of Lebanon, you see the excellency of. Carmel and the glory of Sharon, but he says, "Strengthen you the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees." There's a couple of things that we need to realize that begins to fail us in the wilderness. So, in the in the book of Isaiah, the prophet says, "Strengthen you." Let's go to verse three again. Strengthen the feeble knees, the weak hands, confirm the feeble knees. So there are things that we need to realize: is the hands. It is the knees that we need to strengthen. And then in verse four, it goes on to say, say to them that are a fearful heart. Three things happen in the wilderness if you're not careful. Your hands get weak, your legs get feeble, and then you become fearful, a heart that is fearful. We've gone through that, haven't we? When we have gone through the pandemic and many of people have gone through Hands that have been weak and feeble knees, and then heartful or fearful. But this is what we find in the wilderness Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The enemy tried to destroy you, but your God, the Almighty God, Yahweh, will come with vengeance. Even God with the recompense, He will come. He will come and save you. Take this word because this is very important. For every one of us going through a wilderness, he will come and save you. I want you to understand something happens in the wilderness. I like the way Isaiah talks about this in Isaiah 43, verse 18 and 19. Remember not the things of the old. He says, forget those things because something is going to happen. Verse 19 particularly says, I'm going to cause something new. There will be streams. There will be rivers in the desert, in the wilderness. Behold, I will do a new thing. So it is in this moment of wilderness, God is birthing something new. God is bringing something new. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. When you're talking about wilderness way and when we are talking about what would be Rivers in the desert, how could that be? You cannot make a way in the desert. I mean, it just gets completely overshadowed with the dust. There's no way you could get rivers, water, oasis, but not rivers in the desert. The reason it is a desert, a wilderness, is there's no water. But I want you to understand that it is very important we come to the realization God has placed us in our wilderness like he did to Jacob, and like he did to Moses, like he did to David, like he did to Joshua, and our Lord Jesus Christ himself. We meet him in the wilderness because he has been in the wilderness. He strengthens our weak hands. He strengthens our feeble knees. He strengthens our uh, heart that's fearful, and we will see the glory. Behold, your God will save you. For the next few minutes, I just want to dwell on something very important. Why I don't complete it today. I certainly want to do it next week, next week, God willing. But if you were to take 2 Kings chapter 3 and verse 16, keep that thought, God is about to do a new thing, old things pass away. But the new thing that he's doing is incredible because he is bringing out uh, waters, uh, streams in the wilderness. He said, thus saith the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. Make this valley, make this wilderness full of ditches. You know the story, King Ahab died. He had tributes from various nations, including the Moabites. Now his son, Jehoram, or Jehoram, whichever way you want to call it, is now the king. But the king of Moab just refused to give him tributaries, so he's very upset. So what happens with the king of Israel, Ahab's son, Jehoram, he goes and he teams up with king uh, Jehoshaphat, the good king of Judah. Now when you go into the next couple of verses, you find on their way, they basically ask one more person, the king of Edom, so these are three kings, going to fight with the king of Moab, because the king of uh, Moab has refused to, give tributaries or to say that he is under the king of israel with this in mind as they go something happens right in the middle of nowhere they find they got all the training they required they sat in conf- uh, conf- confederation they basically planned it well they have treasuries full of loaded with money to pay their men they have everything they have could plan even food for this big, epic battle. But right in the middle of it, they're going to find there's no water. Absolutely no water. So this has been a very difficult trial for them. And this is the point in time where King Joseph, he's a godly man, and he says, is there not a prophet? Of course there are prophets in Israel. Most of the major prophets that we read in the Bible actually were in Israel before they slipped away. God was so merciful. He sent them great prophets, including Elijah and Elijah. Now we know about Elijah, we talked about just a moment ago in Carmel. But now his uh, assistant now is the prophet taken over, and you find Elijah is the one they call. Of course, Jehoram is not a, happy with uh, uh, with the prophet because he's experienced how his father went through a really hard time because he's at the water stopped and then the rain came back again very powerful and also destroyed his father's favorite uh, bowls and the Baal worship however this is the time you're going to find they want a word; they're desperately for the word so let us go to what would be chapter three of second Kings verse 16 again and this is the advice that the prophet gives after the minister sings and the spirit of god comes upon him and he's saying "Thus said the lord make this valley full of ditches excuse me we want water not basically till the land and make it a ditch where there is nothing except holes in the wilderness but there is something else he says and this needs a revelation in verse 17, what the prophet says, For thus saith the Lord, you shall not see the wind, I and mean, everything is contrary to you, nothing of a sign that you would be able to recognize except what I tell you, the word of God. Neither shall you see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water that you may drink both you and your cattle and your beast. So not simply that they would find water, survive but they will also what would be fine uh, for their cattle one of the most important things we find in the wilderness is no matter how much prepared you are if you don't have water you're going to have all the symptoms that we are talking about Isaiah chapter 35 talks about feeble feet weak hands and he also talks about a heart, literally in the physical gives you weak heart, but spiritually and solely you can be weak as well. But there's something else Isaiah talks about, and let's just go back to Isaiah 35, and reading verse three all the way to verse five, he said, strengthen the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees, in verse four, he goes on to say, Say to them that are of fearful heart, be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance. Verse 5, again Isaiah is saying, that the eyes of the blind shall be opened. There's something very significant with water. Your eyes will be opened. That's, of course, in the Holy Spirit. And the years of the deaf shall be stopped. And there's something else we find in verse 6. There's not only the eyes and the, and, the, and the ears, but the lame man shall leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb shall speak. If you've been into the desert, in the wilderness, it is, at now it is basically, you. they take you for a ride. They've got all the GPS, and they've got all the places where you get food. It's a big fancy place. You can always go down there and get a big ride, and come back, but really, without all these modern means, it would be a death. Way back in 1962, I think one of the greatest epic movie was produced by David Lean and the great actors in Britain. It was called Lawrence of Arabia. It was an amazing movie with such large numbers of international cast. You had uh, the Egyptian man, uh, forget it, Omar Sharif, you remember him, Alec Goldwyn. You also, uh, not Godwin, uh, Alec, uh, the, Guinness, the great uh, actor. And uh, you also had uh, several others. um, Anthony uh, Quinn, a lot of great actors in that. Peter O'Toole was the main actor. Among the many actors, for us, we wanted to go down and see it later. For the Simple Rivers, there was, unknown to the Hollywood was uh, a Bollywood star. And he got a role, just a small role. Ayat Jawar in this movie in 1962. And the only part that he plays is a man who somehow drifts away from the mainstream of people in that army that T.L. Osborne, I mean, T.L. Well, Osborne, uh, this man um, uh, basically uh, uh, goes out to help the Britishers. What do you find? is this guy gets lost, uh, and he's simply the Indian actor, just uh, not in real life, but in the movie, he's lost, and he's aimlessly wandering in the desert, totally could not see, Uh, dust enters your eyes, it blinds you, dust enters your ears, it stops your ears, dust enters way within, your heart would be choked, that is what desert is. Eyes, ears, nose and completely affects your heart, and you see the man dying there. That's about the small scene where they brought this man. Powerful, everyone had a powerful, but of course, Peter O'Toole, as Lawrence of Arabia, was amazing. But I you to realize, in real life, that is what they portrayed. Now, when you come back to Isaiah chapter 35, and read now, verse six and seven, what happens, then shall the lame man leap at the heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing in the wilderness. There shall water break out and streams in the desert. That's what happens. A person can be able to see, wash his face, can be able to hear, he's able to drink and quench his thirst, and his heart rejoices. And I'm not talking about the natural as much as I'm talking about the spiritual. The Holy Spirit is the water. The word of God is the water. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit anointing the word. But just go back to this and go to next verse in verse 7. You find here, and the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water in the habitation of the dragons, where each lay shall be grass with reed and rushes. Of course, Isaiah is talking both in the natural, but much more about a land, a nation that has gone into sin and there would be a restoration. And he's talking about what would take place towards the end days. Now, for us, it is a time when we're all going through a wilderness, do you? And we believe that we can come together and really see God move. The wilderness is glad. That's how this passage says for those that are walking in because there's so much lessons we learn. Yes, in the midst of all of this, The leg is affected, but we'll be able to leap like a deer. We will come and return with joy. That's how this Isaiah chapter 35 closes. Everlasting joy shall be upon their lips and their hearts. That's very powerful. It's repeated twice by the book of Isaiah. And this is very, then the ransom of the Lord shall return. Come to sign with songs, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing. So obviously there was sorrow and there was sighing, but they shall flee away because of the experience of the beauty of Lebanon, the majesty of Carmel, and the experience of the Rose of Sharon when the Lord meets us and we see the glory of God and the Lord comes to save us. So this is what the prophet, after the ministerial has spoken, we are coming down to 2 Kings chapter 3, and he gives a word, dig in the desert. Dig in your wilderness. Now that's contrary to anything that we can even fathom and imagine. That's the last thing you do. You are dried up, you have no water, and you don't even have the strength, but dig. It is very important. So I won't be able to finish it, but I want to just give you seven keys that are very important. Number one, recognize our problem. Number two, acknowledge that only God can help us. Number three, we need to call to God, and we need to cry out to him. Number four, we need to have a word, and they got the word. Number five, what is so important is obedience to the word. Number six, the revelation of what Isaiah says. You won't be able to see it, you won't be able to feel it, and yet there is a mighty move coming that you won't be sensing it in the natural. It would be contrary to all that you are looking for because you got to sense it in your ears. See it with your spiritual eyes and recognize it in your heart. That should not be affected, your eyes, your ears, and your heart, so that your feeble knees and your weekends will be strengthened, and you'll be able to leap, rejoicing in this wilderness experience. That is God's promise. Let's just first begin with the word recognize. You know, the first thing they realized is they were in a big soup, and they were in a bad, critical situation to the point when you turn to 2 Kings chapter three, verse thirteen. Towards the end, when the prophet, they come, the king of, Syria, of Israel say, nay, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hands of the Moab. That's what he comes to a conclusion. God is out to get us. God is out to kill us. The three of the kings come together. The entire army, if you have heard of such dismal faith, such doubt, unbelief, you can understand, he's the son of none other than King Ahab. What faith is that man? But thank God for a good man like Jehoshaphat. In fact, the prophet said, I would not even look at you, to the king of Israel, but for the fact I acknowledge King Jehoshaphat is a righteous man. That is the reason I will speak to you. So this is important. They have come to a terrible predicament, no water, And there is nothing that they could, their eyes blinded, ears stopped, their hands weakened, their feet so feeble. At that very point, what is it the prophet is saying in the recognition of their need? Dig. Make holes in the wilderness. Make provision where the water can be filled. It is something you have to do before I do what you cannot do. You do what you have to do, and I will do what only I can do. That is what the message is. Streams in the desert, pooled through the the wilderness. God is going to bring water in the most impossible situation of your life. For you, that water could be a job. For you, that water could be a help. For you, that water could be transformation in the family. God is able to bring that water in your wilderness in the most difficult part and portion of your life, but you have to do something for God to do the impossible. For us, we have to do what is possible within our hands, and God would, and only he can do the impossible. So when you come to this point of recognition, the word simply says, dig holes, ditches in the wilderness, in the desert of your life. Prepare for a great harvest. And this is uh, uh, chapter three and verse 16. That is this particular passage. But he says, you've got to do this. Make the valley full of ditches. I want to realize something very important is this man, these three people had come to a recognition that they are in desperate need. They're desperate. And we need to come to our senses if we have to see God work. Just turn to Luke chapter 15 and verse 17. This prodigal son who left the home with such pride, taking the wealth of his father, but when he came to himself, every one of us must come to ourselves. I have sinned. I have done what was wrong. And this is simply called, what would be repentance, coming to ourselves, the very seed of repentance. And then, of course, it's portrayed in action when we turn right around as he goes to his father, seeking forgiveness. This is what God is telling. The Lord Jesus Christ specifically is telling to a church, the seventh church in Revelation, the church of Laodicea. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17, he's telling them, he's saying, you think you are rich? He said, you are not. So in verse 17, he says, Because you say I'm rich and increased with goods and have no need of anything, knowest now that you are poor, rich, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, ask of me for ointment for your eyes. And so here is the Lord offering them what they need, but they thought they had it all. And that is the sad situation. But in this case, the three of them were so desperate, and until we come to that place of utter desperation, like the prodigal son we will never be able to recognize all that God is doing. For Israel, it has been a very big tragedy. They walked away from a gracious, loving God who has been taking care of them, who's providing for them, who's helping them. But what is their reaction? Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 3, look at the way Isaiah talks about how the people of Israel reacting to a loving, gracious God. the ox knows his owner, and the donkey knows his master's script, but Israel does not know, my people doth not consider. And why is it that people are destroyed? You know that in Habakkuk chapter 4, verse 6, my people are destroyed because of lack of knowledge. The preachers, the pastors, the priests of that time, filled their mind with everything else except the word of God. My friend, leave geography with those who are in what with geography. Leave politics with the politicians. Leave real estate with those who sell real estate. When a preacher ought to preach the word, he need to know the word. And this is how he's able to feed God's word to people. But sadly, it was not the case. And God's indictment in the book of Ezekiel, in the book of Isaiah, in the book of Jeremiah, is against the pastors who do not give the word. They are destroyed because of lack of knowledge. That's killing them. And so these people come to the recognition they need a word, they need knowledge, they need wisdom in this soup, in this terrible, desperate condition that they're in. And so they come to the prophet asking for a word in spite of the fact Moab, I'm sorry, in spite of the fact King of Edom and Israel, the King of Israel were not believers, and yet Josephat, and for the sake of a man who believes, God gives the word through Elijah. And that is a very powerful word. Secondly, we need to acknowledge. And when we talk about acknowledgement, I want you to understand, in recognition, we need to realize how important it is. I like the word that Psalm 139, verse 23, and verse 24 tells us. To a point when you recognize, we ask, Lord, search me, O God, Know my heart, try me, and know my thoughts. And in verse 24, see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. And this is important for us to realize that recognition of our situation when we examine our own heart and our own life. Number two, there must be a sense of coming to God and acknowledging our condition. Back again, they come, the three of them, they come through the prophet. They want a word. They want to know how to get out of this dilemma. And this is a recognition that we need to come to and deep within our heart we must say, Lord, I need, I need your word. I'm coming to you. I'm so desperate. And we must acknowledge. You know, I like the way Matthew chapter 7, and verse 7 tells us, ask, seek, find, and you shall find. We need to acknowledge. That's basically what David did when he fell. Psalm 51 and verse 3. Acknowledged my sin, he says, and God has forgiven him. Uh, Psalm 51 and verse 3. I For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. This is important for us to realize in every sense that we need to not only recognize, but also come to a place that we acknowledge it. We are desperate. That's what the three kings, and they're not used to basically uh, taking orders. They're used to giving orders. In a desperate situation, it's a matter of life and death. They're willing to receive a word, and it's a matter of applying the word. And the word was tough. You've got to dig ditches in this wilderness. You've got to dig ditches in this desert. That's not a word that is reasonable, that would be normal, That's against every order. But that is what they got. So they are coming to a place of acknowledgement. Number three, they have to come to a place of calling upon God. And so they are calling. And they said, there is a prophet named Elijah. Elijah is the one who ministered to Elijah. He's the prophet. We'll call him. You need to go and see him. So it is. Something that they need to realize and to recognize. I like the way Psalm 17 and verse 6, the psalmist says, I called unto the Lord, and he heard me. And he says, I have called upon you, for thou hast thou wilt hear me, incline thine ear unto me, and hear my speech. Again, Psalm 86 and verse 5, again, talks about calling to God and hearing. He says, Lord... O oh God, ready to forgive and plenteous mercy to all that call upon me. Calling upon God is an awesome experience. And God's promise is ever sure. I like the way that he speaks to Jeremiah, to the people of Israel. He speaks to us as well in Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 3. Call unto me and I will answer you. I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know about. There are things we do not know until we call, then we will realize. There are times we need a revelation. Why did this thing come upon us? Why are people going through hardship? There must be a revelation. God is in control. God is in command. Somebody was asking a question about why is it that one part of Kings in 22 says, Satan brought about David to count, and then God did that. How do you reconcile the two? It simply is, of course, Satan brought it about, but in the end, nothing happens without God allowing. Things don't happen accidentally for us. God has to allow because Satan even has to ask permission. When he went to affect Job, he couldn't touch Job. Job did not know. The entire situation, the curtains were closed in heaven. He had no idea. He had to walk by faith. But yes, Satan does it, but God allows it. Why would God allow this pandemic? I know Satan did it. Because there's a reason for every one of us. Maybe we have been playing around with God. Maybe we've been pretending to have church or being pretending to be a Christian. Maybe we're taking a lot of things for granted, and there's a lot of things that aren't church life. It's not the worship. It's not the word. A whole lot of fashion, a whole lot of drama, so a whole lot of other things, nothing against all of that. But it's taken the preeminence. It's all about the big names, the big shots. And God is shaking things up, and what ultimately is happening is the word, and the worship is getting the priority. But there is a reason for all of this, and we need to ask the Lord. Call unto him. He says, I will show you great and mighty things that you don't even fathom, you don't even comprehend, you don't even know about. I will show it to you. Number four, we need to depend upon God's word. What do you mean depend upon God's word? Here's the word. Second Kings chapter 3, verse 16 and verse 17. Listen to the word that he gives to these three kings. And with the three kings... The beasts, the horses, vast numbers of soldiers in the thousands. He said, this is what the Lord says, make this valley full of ditches. They got a word. Word 17, I mentioned again, It smacks any wisdom in the natural. For thus said the Lord, you shall not see wind, neither shall you see rain. Yet the valley shall be filled with water, that you may drink both you and your cattle and your beasts. God is concerned about beasts and the cattle as well. I'm going to give you all of that you need, but you have to dig ditches in the valley, ditches in your desert, ditches in your wilderness. It is important we get a word from God. It's important we have a word from the Lord. To Naaman, here is what Elijah tells him in 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 10. He's filled with leprosy all his years until... uh, a girl told him, a girl from Israel, that he had captured, go, there is a prophet in Israel. So in Kings chapter, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 10, he's telling him, go wash yourself seven times. Excuse me? I've come all the way here to hear this word, wash. What's so great about this Jordan? It's Max Wisdom, but God is wanting to know if you would listen to his word. I like the way the disciples answered the Lord Jesus when they the whole night was fishing, got nothing. They basically put the net on the left, on the right, the back, and everywhere. And now Jesus is saying, throw it on this side. And Luke chapter 5 and verse 5, nevertheless, according to your word, we will do it. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 8 is a very powerful word. That this man says, at your word, just speak the word. That's all is needed. God's word goes out and will accomplish as long as our heart is open and fertile to receive the word. Otherwise, we are blocking the word of God in our heart. It's really important. So I'm skipping a lot of passages because we want to finish with this. Number five is total obedience to God. What I mean is obedience to God is something we need to realize that God had told them to dig and to be able, in spite of the fact they're not going to feel it, they're not going to see it, and everything smacks wisdom contrary to everything that we are used to, logic and understanding and science, God is beyond all of that. And God gives a word to these great men who have their own magis, their own counselors, their own wise men, and it's a word that is contrary to all these people would give. But I want us to understand something very important. Obedience is very powerful. There will not be a breakthrough without obedience. Dig ditches. If you just take Proverbs chapter 12, and verse 11 the book of proverbs is telling us to till the land if you want to be well financially dig ditches if you want to do good as a farmer you can't wish you can't hope you got to dig you got to till the land You've got to prepare the soil. God brings the sun, God brings the rain, but he that tilleth his land shall be satisfied with bread. He that followeth vain person is void of understanding. Again, chapter 28 of the same Proverbs and verse 19, he says, dig and you will get bread. You will be prosperous. You have to till the land. You have to dig. There's something a farmer knows he has to do it. Something that mechanics know, they have to do it. Something that artists know, they have to do it. So, in the case with these people, they have to dig if they need water. There's something we have to understand. Do what is possible and leave the rest with God. God will never take ten steps until we first finish our first. Begin first with faith. So you have this beautiful psalm, I believe it's in... Psalm 21 and verse 31. What it says is prepare for the battle. Prepare the horses for the battle. But in the end, leave the ultimate decision to God. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety or salvation or victory is of the Lord. But you have to prepare the horses. You have to prepare the infantry. You have to prepare everything in order. You simply can't say, I wish I would make double You're not playing a spiritual lottery. You have to put and put your faith to work. Number six is revelation. What I mean by revelation is I want you to realize when you turn to 2 Kings chapter 3 and verse 17, not just simply dig, but the prophet is saying you're not going to see anything. Everything that you're going to do, For thus, you shall not see wind, neither shall you see rain. But you have to do what you have to do. You're not going to see any wind because for a rain to come, or water to come, you've got to hear the water, the wind. You're not going to see the rain, yet the valley, yet the valley, yet the valley will be filled with water. Yet the valley will be filled with water. There must come into our heart a sense of divine revelation. God is able to do far beyond that we could even ask, imagine or think, imagine, think, far beyond it all. The revelation that God gives to us is astounding, is amazing, and we must be able to be that desperate. I come to this end point taking away all the other scriptures, and that is you must have such desperation like three kings with all their army, all their beasts and all their cattle, going to perish in the desert would be easy for the Moabites. But for the fact they were desperate enough to attempt anything. Think about the kings they joined in. Think about them commanding the men, dig ditches. We gotta do it. that's the only survival. Somebody said, excuse me, king, this is madness. Do what God says. You see, in the fox even atheists become believers. When you are in a desperate situation, you will want to do anything. That's how desperate you are. Second Kings chapter 7, verse 4 and 5, tells about four leprous people. People had shut them out. Some Samaria uh, basically was covered with sickness and illness. They had no food. In fact, they were eating even flesh. But these four of them were so desperate, they said, what's the big deal? Sit here and die? Let's just go and see in the camp. Maybe we will find some food. Excuse me, go down to the Syrian's camp. He said, what's the big deal? They don't allow us in our own city. Let's go to the other city. When they go down there in next verse 5, they find the entire place empty, but the food enough and more for the whole city. They were that desperate. And that very day, the words of Elijah came past that you will see it to the counselor because he didn't believe, but you will be trampled down. People will be running to get the food. This is important. I want you to know how desperate these four friends were to see their precious friend, invalid for years, and they saw Jesus coming, they heard Jesus coming, and chapter 2 of Mark in verse 4, they climbed up to Peter's roof. I don't know how they felt about breaking Peter's roof. They must have paid it afterwards. But they were so desperate, they did what was unethical. They did that was not protocol. They broke the roof just so that Jesus would heal them. Are you desperate enough to do something so desperate? That is how desperation gives a breakthrough. And you see this when you read the couple of verses, and I want you to read the entire chapter whole because we don't have time, Second Kings chapter 3, and go all the way to the end, by the time you come to verse 20, 23, 25, Moabites are finished. They are running helter-skelter and ultimately they are totally defeated. Here were three armies to the point of total death. Three armies filled with their soldiers Look at that, they had statistics, they had money, they had food, they had everything, they come to the end, screeching hard because no water, and they were dead meat. But for the fact they searched, reached, called, repented, asked God in a word, and they were willing to believe. There is a passage about Abraham that is very important. In Romans chapter four, verse 18, Who, against hope, what do you mean? Against any hope, and yet contradictory, believed. And he became the father. God is looking to see, in your wilderness, if you will take the word and run. In the case here, they had to dig ditches. In your case, God speaking to you. Can I just pray for you? Father, you tell us to dig ditches, in our wilderness. And that is what that great psalm Isaiah talks about. The desert is glad for them because we learn the costliest lesson, but yet the most precious. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return and they shall obtain joy and gladness and everlasting joy shall be upon their heart. Thank you, Father. When we come out, we've learned Precious lessons, the most important lessons we would never have learned had we not been in this wilderness. Bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the Lord. To learn more, please visit our website, HighlandNY.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.